Hey everyone, welcome to Hosted. This is an opportunity that I have to flip the script a bit to interview hosts who are typically on the other side of the mic. So today I'd like to welcome John Ekstrom. How are you hey, doing? Hey Brandy, I'm great. Thank you for having me. What uh, what an opportunity. It's always fun to have the tables turned on you. Yeah, it is fun. I mean, hosts are the best guests because you're really good at conversation. Well, they can be, you know, hosts tend to take over conversations if we're allowed to, <laughs> uh, but uh, we are generally pretty good at listening. And uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's fun. Anytime anyone asks you about what you do. Yeah, always. So tell us a little bit about what you do. I mean, you've had John of All Trades, your podcast for eight years. Is that yeah, right? Eight years as of March, 2022. Congratulations. That's not Thank easy. You. No, um, no, it certainly isn't. And I've tried to quit the show any number of times. <laughs> you can't quit it? I, no, I can't. Um, it's, it's like Brokeback Mountain. I wish I knew how to quit you. <laughs> so, but what I mean, what keeps bringing me back is I will hear something or meet someone new and I go, man, I got to interview them. Like, I got to tell their story. Like, I have such interesting questions for you. We should do it on the record. And I go, oh, damn it. Like, I'm back in again. <laughs> um but I mean, podcasting is so much work, especially when you do, I mean, I started out doing weekly and now I'm at, I'll probably take off one week a month. So, so you're going like, to do three, launch three episodes a month? Yeah. So like last year I did 40. So you figure out of 52 weeks in a year, that's one a month. Yeah. Um, and, you know, between the booking and the editing and the post-production and writing the social posts and... And, and, and like, it all tends to add up in a way that you're not really thinking about all that frequently until you stop and you do, and you go, oh shit, like, where did all this time go? Um, do you have some how... help? <laughs> no, I, I am in fact, John of all trades. Are you really, you do everything yourself? I, yes, I've been it's doing impressive. it that way. Yeah. It, well, it's funny because, you know, I, number one, I didn't want to pay someone to do it um, because for a couple of reasons. One, I just, I liked having creative control over it. And two, I didn't want to invest the time to train someone how I wanted things done. So I've just always kind of done it myself. I could probably farm some of this out now, but we'll, we'll see how things unfold. Well, since you've tried to quit it a few times, what made you start it to begin with? <clears throat> so interesting question, because I, my background is in college radio. Uh, I went to CSU. I worked at KCSU, which is one of the top. It's like CMJ top 30. Uh, it's a CMJ flagship station. So it was widely regarded, especially after the floods in Fort Collins and like whatever that year that was, 1997. Um, KCSU got equipment that rivaled most commercial stations and sometimes even exceeded it. So it attracted all this talent. And so I loved doing the radio there. And I got my start interviewing bands. And bands are really, bands and musicians are interesting people to interview because they get interviewed a lot. Mm -hmm. And if you can ask them questions that, that they haven't already answered like a hundred times, then they're going to take to you and they're really going to like you and you're going to get good feedback. And so I found I had a knack for it and I really enjoyed it. Um, you couple that with the fact that I've been writing on the internet since probably the year 2000. So Jesus, what is that? 22 years. That's 22 years. Yeah. That was like just the beginning. You're a pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
I was, I was writing actually about pro wrestling on the internet just because I was like this huge <laughs> fan. And so I was writing these Monday night raw recaps and that sort of branched out. I was writing music reviews. I was writing concert reviews. I was at one point I was like on 12 different sites because my recaps were syndicated. And so like I had a feel for it. And after that, I launched this website called crew Jones society, which was like this pop culture and humor website Um, That lasted for a while. And my friend Brad, who's actually one of the hosts of Real Nerds podcast, which has been going for more than a decade, they have, God, they have so many shows. Um, He said to me, he's like, well, with your background in radio and the fact that you write so much, you should try podcasting. And so I thought, okay. Uh, And I was like, early on, I was getting into podcasts. So like right around 2010 or so, I was listening to like This American Life a lot. Yeah. And I was listening to Adam Carolla after he got fired by CBS radio. And it was before he turned his show back into like the morning zoo that he's kind of comfortable with. And he was doing like more long form kind of Charlie Rose style interviews. Ah, They were great. Yeah. And just talking to people about their journey and I go, okay, that's cool. And then Marin started WTF. And that like, if, if my show has two spiritual predecessors, it's probably WTF with Mark Marin like on the podcasting side, because just even the, the format rhythms of that, just music, then Marin talks for a little bit. There's a brief music cue and then we're right into the interview. Um, that's like, I lifted that format exactly for my show. Um, the other one is probably just dirty jobs with Mike Rowe because I mean, he talked to the people who really make society go. And what I found was that, if you ask the right questions to people, you will get phenomenal stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if you, because a lot of people don't get asked a lot about their job. And a lot of people, like when I'm reaching out to guests, I, you know, they'll say, well, why do you want to talk to me? And I go, trust me, your job is fascinating. And no matter how cool or how glamorous or how weird a job is, there is someone out there who is bored by it. And or just totally nonplussed by the fact that they even do it. Yeah. And so I found I, I got the best compliment from one of my best friends. He's like, I like standing next to you at parties because when we meet new people, you know the next interesting question to ask to keep the conversation going. And I thought, okay, well, with that, I'm gonna give it a shot. Let's get it out there. That's kind of why I started it. I mean, all those factors taken together created kind of a perfect storm for me to start a podcast. And it's a true talent to to know what to ask people to get them to open up, to get them to let their guard down. Like you said, asking musicians questions that they've never been asked before so that they trust you. I mean, that is that is a skill set that not a lot of people have. And I talk to our clients about this all the time because they'll, you know, we're booking them on shows and yeah. and not all podcasts are cr- podcast hosts are created equally <laughs> and certainly they're, not <laughs> they're like hey that one show that you booked us on that was really incredible but that one like I just felt like the host didn't really know what to do or had like a predetermined scripted list of questions Ugh. and wouldn't follow a lead-in from an answer that they gave and it's 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 a skill set it's journalism but people I, jump into podcasting just because they're like oh that seems cool I'm gonna do it well, the the analogy I always make is, so I love Major League Baseball. And so baseball at any given time, 25, ro- 25 people on a roster, 30 teams, that's roughly the 750 best baseball players in the entire world at any given time, right? 
And when you watch baseball, you're thinking to yourself, man, how many of these guys actually suck too? Like, you know, they, they make you crazy watching them. They're the best in the world at what they do. Yet you're so frustrated watching them. It's like, why can't you put a ball in play or whatever, right? Yeah. When it comes to podcasting, the barriers to entry are much, much lower than they are for Major League Baseball. 100%. So every Tom, Dick, and Quasimodo out there can just like get on a microphone and just start farting on a snare drum and call it a show. (laughs) And you go, man, why does this exist? Like you have not thought through why this even matters or, or what value it's bringing to someone else. And until you do that, like don't have a show. What do you think it is that sparks that in people? It seems easy because it it's fun. Like podcasts are fun to listen to and you hear it and you go, Oh, this is just two people talking. I'm great at talking. Spoiler alert. You're probably not um, at least not to the degree which you think you are because right. a podcast is like a hyper real environment. It's not exactly a natural conversation. That's what you want it to feel like, but you're having a conversation with purpose. So as a host, you need to like one of the toughest skills to master is listening to your guest at all times and being ready to, to branch off in like, and follow up on whatever they're saying while keeping a question in your head, because they may not, they may not say something that lends itself well to a follow-up. So you need something else to kind of push them in a different direction. When you can do those two things simultaneously, being ready to either dump that question or being ready to kind of end like wherever they end and taking the conversation in a new direction. That's tough. It's Um, really tough. And I tend to do my show without notes in front of me. So, um, I, I don't, I don't have something. You don't have like a pre-scripted list of questions based on your guest. No, well I do. And I don't, um, my general sort of feeling when I'm doing a show is I will have three or four general topic areas that I want to cover. And I want to make sure we cover those in whatever depth that the conversation sort of lends lends itself to. Um, And whatever amount of time we spend on those is fine. But as long as I get those like three or four things, I'm going to be satisfied with the interview. Otherwise, I don't want to script it too much because then, then it becomes like, I don't know, a stage play or something. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It just, it feels so, I mean, podcasts are beautiful because they they are conversational in nature. And I feel like you can really get to know somebody and maybe get into their vulnerabilities a bit. But when you're just scripting it out and it just feels yeah. feels forced and none of it's connecting, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible experience for not only the people, but also the listeners. The listeners, yes. But I think about this because you've come, okay, so you do your podcasts now, you come from the world of radio, but you also come from the world of blogging. Mm-hmm. And I feel, I used to tell people this all the time, but podcast is the new blogging. Like I'll, I remember <laughs> getting blogs from all of my friends or people that I was acquainted to. And I'm like, what is this? What are you writing? <laughs> yeah. Who actually cares about this? I don't think anybody does, but if, but if this is a good place for you to journal, keep going. Yeah, that's, that's perfectly fine. Um, so Brandy, I, I like, I get both formal and informal requests if it's like, and I've, so I've developed like this two pager, sort of the basics of podcasting. It's basically everything that you could Google, but haven't bothered to yet. 
Um, and so like, it's all just in one place for them, you know, here's the equipment, here's the editing software I use, blah, blah, blah. Um, but when I'm consulting professionally on shows, they always think they want to talk about where is this going to be hosted or like people always ask right away, when can we monetize this? And my usual answer is never, never. Yeah. Um, like be prepared to never, ever monetize this thing, like have a different goal attached to it because the, the economics of podcasting are just weird. Um, but what I tell them is the thing you need to answer and have a good answer for is why does this show exist? What do you want someone to think, do, or feel after having interacted with it? Like what, what is that? What is that goal? What is that feeling? What is that action you want them to take? Because that's going to make the show matter. And that will, I mean, a lot of things have to go right, but that will put you on the road to monetizing it or to growing it. But until you answer that question, don't put anything out there. So do you feel like most of your clients know that answer immediately, or is it something that they need to sit on? And have you, I'm going to put another question on this too. Have you ever had anybody walk away? And not do a show? And not do it. No, because that question, I will coach them to get to the answer that they you know, that, that, that will birth a show into existence because the shows that I work on professionally, um, are organizations that have business goals. So you can tailor a show. We just need to figure out which goal this show can help serve. And once you figure that out, then you sort of tailor the aesthetic choices and the format choices to those answers. So Mm -hmm. you'll get to a show eventually, but I take them through some exercises. I mean, it's essentially you've, you've worked in PR it's like before and still do. Through, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a branding exercise. Yeah. Like, and so you can coach people through that with the right questions to ask. Um, so no, no one's ever walked away from that. I will say some of the hobbyists, like just friends that I give this to, I think very few of those shows have ever come into existence because mm-hmm. I think they look at that and they go, wow, this is a lot of work. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It is. It is. And I think statistically people get in like eight episodes and then they're done. See you <laughs> they later. Cut it. Yeah. Yep. Completely done. You know, something that we were talking about before I pushed record was, was your goal and your purpose behind your show. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned that you have to really gain the trust of your listeners because you're interviewing all a huge variety of folks on various topics. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. So the ultimate goal of my show, if I could distill it down to one thing, it is to enhance empathy in the world. If, if we all get to know each other a little bit better, uh, the world becomes a little bit less scary, a little bit less unknowable. And particularly as Americans, when you meet someone new, what is the very first thing anyone ever asks you? It's what do you do? Mm-hmm. Right. And so we tend to define ourselves, particularly as Americans, by our work. And this is where we spend so much of our time. This is where uh, our mind tends to go. So by highlighting people and using like employment as a hook, you can unpack a lot of different things about someone when you ask them about their job. Like, how did you end up on this road doing this job? Are you fulfilled by the work? And most of the people I talk to who want to talk about their work are fulfilled. I'm not getting a lot of people who go, you know, I get the, uh, I get the Sunday night scaries on Friday afternoon when I leave work. 
Um, that tends not to happen very much on my show because a lot of these folks have self-selected as people who are enthused about their work. And I love showcasing that and bringing that up because it gives people an opportunity to say, okay, so that person over there is working on something and they're really excited by it. Why am I not excited by my job? What changes do I need to make? And it's funny because I've said this on my show before, but I started my show in 2014 when I was still in my corporate gig. And I got laid off about a year and a month into the run of my show. What someone told me, I didn't realize I was doing this. They said, during that time, you interviewed a ton of entrepreneurs. And basically what you were doing was training yourself to be an entrepreneur. To be an entrepreneur. How fascinating. You had no idea that was not your, that was not your mission. That wasn't my goal. It was just entrepreneurs were easier to talk to. Um, well, they are easy to talk to. Absolutely. And, and there's a lot less layers of approval to get them to talk to you. Like if you go through big companies, there'll be someone who was like, who did what I do. Um, usually being a gatekeeper and having to get around that was just a nightmare. So talking to self-employed people, they go, yeah, I got no one else to answer to. I would love to answer your questions. So how do you take, okay. So you're, you're having them open up because everyone wants to talk about what they do for a living because we're programmed to do that. How do you get them to, to go deeper? How do you get them to open up? Okay. So one of my things in terms of, I mean, I've done PR in this town now for 15 plus years. I can smell boilerplate a mile away. <laughs> like, you know, if, if someone comes on and starts essentially reading me their press release. Are you just, do you just say stop? No, I, I don't tell them to stop, but I will kick them off that axis. And so typically, you know, people come in with an agenda or they should anyway, you should have goals when you go on any show, like what, who do you want to be? Who do you want to present as with any opportunity that you have? That's on you. Um, And I always tell people when I'm media training them, I go, you're not there to answer the reporter's questions. Like that's not your job. You don't, you don't necessarily have to answer their question. You can't ignore the question and you can't blow past the question, you need to at least acknowledge the the question, but your job is to tell your story. Mm -hmm. So look for opportunities to do that. And so if someone tell a compelling story, please, for the love of God. Um, But so to get someone to go deeper, you need to give them something they're not ready for. And so my, (laughs) I hesitate giving this up, but it's not like, it's, you know, it's not like I have the secret to cold fusion or something with this. But it's, I'll ask them a non sequitur question because the second you can kind of like elbow someone off of their, you know, preferred path. Yeah. Their talking points. Yeah. And as soon as you do that, it's hard for them to get back at least exactly where they were. And the more you can kind of get them off that path, then all of a sudden they're, they're, they're not thinking about the script that they had and they're being a little bit more real, a little bit more authentic, a little bit more spontaneous a little bit more conversational. And the other thing I'll tell you is I had a boss who gifted me with this phrase. And before I tell you it, I'll tell you, I genuinely love people. And I'm so curious about people. I can listen to people talk all day and I pretty much do. That's what my entire career is based on at this point. But he said, I don't care what you know until I know that you care. So I thought that's beautiful and that's Mm -hmm. perfect. So if you can express some empathy or some vulnerability yourself, 
I, like I will, one of my hosting techniques is I will tend to offer some sort of story that relates to whatever they're telling me. Um, and they see me being willing to volunteer some information that tends to be an invitation that almost everyone will take. As soon as you as a host go, you know what? Uh, I went through this. Here's something similar. Here's what I hear you saying. And it compares to this moment in my life. They go, yeah, exactly. And let me tell you more. And so as a host, I use myself to draw people out. That's great. I mean, that's a great technique. We do. So with our clients, when we're booking them on shows, before we do that, we do a story craft session with them to craft their story because not all podcast hosts are awesome at getting you to, to slowly <laughs> right. open up. And a lot of times they'll say, Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Tell us about you. Tell us about oh, yourself. God. Fire that, <laughs> that question, question into the sun. It's terrible. Right. So yes, drop it to, into an open volcano. You have to know how to navigate it because it's there oh, yeah. and it's going to be there. And nobody wants to hear your resume. They don't like, don't read your LinkedIn profile. That's, no, no, I don't need to know what you've been doing since the age of 15. Right. Like, don't, don't read me your obituary while you're I, still alive. I don't, I don't want to hear it. Um, and you should never tell that. So that's what, it, and it's interesting because when we're doing storycraft sessions, it usually takes there an hour long. It usually takes to about minute 20 before we get to the really good stuff. And it's just yeah. like, no, no, why are you, what is it that you did in your previous career that has opened you up to yeah. this idea or what you're doing now? What problems have you seen in this industry that you want to solve? Why are you doing what you're doing? And it's not that, you know, I don't, I don't want to read your boilerplate. I want to, I want you to, I want you to like, I want to pull some heartstrings here. Right. You need to make a connection, a real human connection. Well, and I tell I tell people when they're doing my show, I'm like, look, I, I always ask two questions before I get started, uh, before I turn the mics on. I say, number one, do you have a hard stop when you need to be done by? Which is just a fair question. And so we can set expectations. Um, and then secondly, I say, is there anything you don't want to talk about? Um, and I just, I put that out there and they'll tell me a lot of people are like, no, you know, there's nothing that comes to mind, whatever. Right. But I at least know the playing field at that point. And so absent, whatever that is, like, I think I had a guest who didn't want to talk about their kids and I go, well, that's fine. I wasn't going to ask you about your kids anyway, but (laughs) I don't care that. Yeah. That's good to know if that comes up. Um, Beyond that, I tell them, I'm like, look, I'm not doing 60 minutes here. This is not like hard hitting gotcha journalism that I'm trying to do, but it's also not the smile time fun hour either. So like, I'm going to ask you about things that maybe are controversial or or tough if that's in bounds for you, because let's, if, if we're not willing to do that, then why are we even here? Yeah. So like, for instance, I had, uh, he's a good friend of mine now, but uh, I had a jeweler on. And so I asked him about, you know, blood diamonds and mining practices in Africa and fair trade and all that. And he was ready for it. And in a lot of ways, he, he told me after the fact, he's like, I actually appreciate you asking about that because I so rarely get the opportunity to talk about it. And that's so important to my business and our industry, but people are afraid of tough questions when they shouldn't be, because most people are like, no, hell yeah, let's dig in. Let's do this. Let's advance the conversation in a meaningful way. Well, and I think if if your purpose to be interviewed on a show is to to gain brand awareness, and 
how awesome of an opportunity for you to share something that's a little bit different, like your friend's perspective on those yeah. really tough issues that that other people can relate to and and maybe go to him for their new ring, knowing that yeah. the way that what his philosophy is. And that is like that's the good stuff. And that's what's gonna whatever you do in the world, service, product, whatever it is, that's what's gonna connect people to you. That's yeah. what's going to make them take any sort of action. So and yeah. it's really important. And I, I love um, going way back to what you were talking about earlier around your mission, just to create greater empathy. And I, I think in general, podcasts are a perfect vehicle for that because you typically are talking to people that you wouldn't, you wouldn't ever meet at a dinner party you probably maybe don't, don't move in the same circles and you could be, they could be across the world. So it's just such a great way to, to realize that like, we're not, that we're not that far apart. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, it, again, if you ask the right questions, you will get phenomenal stuff from pretty much anyone, but there's a, a deleted scene in Pulp Fiction where Mia Wallace is interviewing uh, John Travolta's character, Vincent, and asks him, are you listening or are you waiting to talk? Or it's like, do you listen or do you wait to talk? And he said, I think I wait to talk, but I'm trying harder to listen. And I feel like so much of our culture is people waiting to talk and, you know, for lack of a better term, get their shit in, mm -hmm. right? Because if you think about what it's like to go on Twitter, Twitter is a nightmare because just people dunking on other people at all times. Yeah. And so it's almost like everyone has material that they're trying to get through. And instead of just listening, whereas with a podcast, you, you have no choice but to listen to two people having an interesting conversation. And if you do that with your audience in mind going, this could be a service, this could be a value to someone or to whoever listens to it. If you have that mindset, you will tend to do a better show or at least a good show. And to me, that's what matters because if we're not listening to each other, what the hell are we even doing? Yeah, so true. So as you're listening to your guests, I'm sure there's been many times that you've walked away from a conversation and it's sat with you for hour, two hour, days, months. I don't know. Can you yeah. recall any that were impactful to you? Maybe still are to this day. Yeah. Um, the show that immediately comes to mind is one I did. I want to say it's number 119. I can't remember what number it is, but it's Patrick Sheridan. And he was, and I say was intentionally, um, he, he was involved in the film community in Denver. He was a mentor to a lot of young filmmakers and young actors. He was a teacher. He was, a uh, filmmaker, he just a phenomenal talent and one of the warmest, most beautiful souls the town has ever had. And when I interviewed him, he was fighting pancreatic cancer. Hmm. And what year was he that? was? Ah, uh, geez, um, twenty eighteen, maybe. I can't remember. I can find it for you. I'll send it to you. Okay, that'd be great. But, um. He was fighting pancreatic cancer and just gave me the rawest picture of what that was like and talked about 
the challenges that he had and what it was like to go through. And I got done with that interview and I couldn't stop thinking about it for like two weeks. And then he died and he died uh, probably like a year after that. And he was getting better. He was going to start his own podcast. I gave him some of my old equipment and that was the last time I ever saw him. And he died a couple of months later. And so I reposted the episode and I re-recorded an intro and I just turned the mics on. I didn't know exactly what I was going to say. And I ended up just sobbing my way through it. And that show, I still think about it because that was a guy who it's sad that almost like he was at the end and that was the time when he could like be most open but I thought to myself, I'm like, man, what a gift to get to tell his story. And, and for anyone who loves him and anyone who was touched by him. And I got, I had a lot of outreach from people on that one saying, thank you for the show because now they get to hear Patrick anytime they want in a long form interview. And so that one, probably more than any other show I've ever done uh, is one I think about pretty frequently. Wow. It's like a, it's, it's recorded history, you know, yeah. and, at, and at a time where he was struggling and pancreatic cancer, that's, that's it's that, nasty, it's man. terrible. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much a death sentence. And so yeah. knowing where you are and being able to share that, be vulnerable. That's wow. That's, in, that's incredible. Yeah. That, that one was pretty remarkable. Sometimes people will, I mean, as a podcast host, sometimes you end up becoming like this ad hoc therapist because people will come on and, you know, neither of you knows exactly where the conversation is going to go, but I've heard so many guests who've gone on Howard Stern, who, by the way, Stern, no matter what you think of him is kind of like the gold standard of interviewing people. Fantastic. He's, he, he's unbelievable at his ability to get something unique out of each guest. Mm -hmm. And I've heard so many guests come off that show and be like, I never in a million years ever planned to talk about that, whatever it was in a public forum, but it just goes to show you like what Howard can do in terms of an interview. And a lot of times that'll happen on my shows where it's like, I didn't know we were going to spend so much time talking about X or Y or Z. And I go, look, that's, I that's didn't what either. came about. <laughs> like, I didn't go into this with any hard agenda either, but I think what we made was gold. Yeah, no, it truly, I mean, I, I think that I've been on some, some podcasts and there are moments where I find out things about myself <laughs> that I didn't know that changes my perspective completely. It's, well, Brandy, I'll tell you there, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. But there's a, a philosophical construct called the Johari window that I just adore. I, are you familiar with this at no, all? No, I'm not. Tell okay, me a little so bit about it. It's a window with four quadrants in it. In the first quadrant is stuff everyone knows. It's what you know about yourself and what other people know about you. Your name is Brandy. You work in PR. You're the host of Hosted, right? It all like surface level stuff. Yeah. The second window is stuff you know about yourself that other people don't know, right? So that can be any number of things. Just whatever you haven't chosen to reveal to someone yet right? Like, I don't know your middle name. I don't need to know your middle name, but like, that's something you know that I don't. Okay. Mm -hmm. The, I'm going to skip the third window real quick, but the fourth window is stuff. No one knows. Like you don't know about yourself. Other people don't know about you. The third window is the most fascinating one. And it's my favorite one. It's stuff. Other people know about you that you don't know about yourself. 
And so as, as the knowledge is shared, you know, things move into that first window, right? So like you share some info with someone, then that stuff everyone knows, or you and whoever this person is. When you find out something about yourself that you didn't know previously, but other people go, oh yeah, that's totally you. That to me is always most interesting. And I find that's something that can happen on podcasts because you're having this conversation and all of a sudden you go, holy shit, I did not realize that about myself, but here is something about me. How about that? And you'll tell that to other people and they go, oh yeah, no, that's totally you. That's always been you. And you go, how did I not know that? Like, It doesn't it make you, like it has happened to me so many times and it's unnerving yeah. and, and to it. A certain extent, it makes me rather angry because I, <laughs> I'm like, why? I thought you were my friends. <laughs> well, you didn't and, tell me. And your you friends tell will tell that? you, it's like, we thought you knew. Yeah. Like, how, how could you not know this about yourself? <laughs> it is. It is so interesting. I feel like uh, it just it as as you get older and more of those things come up, it's just like, I can't believe I've spent. 40 plus years of my life, just living in this lie of who I perceive myself to be, but it turns out nobody else was perceiving me in that way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, yeah, that's cool. I'm going to need to dig into that a little bit further. That's yeah, a fun one. Okay. So you've given a lot of insight into the world of podcasting, what it's like to be a host, how you work with your clients. If you were to give the listeners three takeaways, just three of the best tips, advice that you would give to somebody who's just starting out or maybe reevaluating what they're doing in, in the world of podcasting. What would that be? Okay. What would those three tips be? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the, uh, <laughs> there's a tip I like from Chuck Klosterman, who is an author and a journalist. Mm-hmm. And he has interviewed a lot of celebrities. And I take this one to heart. I, it's tempting to want to be friends with your interview guests. And sometimes you are, sometimes you're already friends and like that, you know, that becomes its own kind of interview. But I do interviews at Denver Film Festival. And so you get some notable filmmakers and I've interviewed some bands that I really like. One of the things that I always think is, don't go into an interview expecting to be friends with your interview subject because you're there to do a job and you're there to service your show. Um, Don't expect to be friends with anyone that you interview because Mm -hmm. if you want to do an interview that matters, ask them tough questions. And so Klosterman says, "I, I think of a question that makes me uncomfortable to ask and I ask it early. Um, just to get it out of the way, because then you're sort of setting the playing field. Yeah, you set the tone. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, especially if they're using podcasts as a way to get a client or, you know, meet people that they, they're, they're huge fans of, like, you can't expect to interview somebody well, and then either be their best bud or have them as a client. Those are purposes. uh, Those two things, those two goals are across purposes. And so, and and that's not to say you should be doing adversarial style interviews like that. I don't do adversarial style interviews, but asking someone a real question, I I think has earned me respect in terms of what I'm doing. Um, So that's number one. Number two, 
when you are thinking about a show and you are thinking about your own interview style and your own hosting style, answer that question that I ask all my clients. What do you want someone to think, do, or feel after having interacted with this show? Like literally, if you answer that, that will then inform all your aesthetic choices. So on my show, I knew like I'm very sort of high energy, high strung. Um, like I, I would say I'm fairly relaxed, but I, you can tell I don't have a hard time coming up, which is why yeah. I don't drink coffee in the morning. Um, caffeine makes my skeleton feels like, feel like it's going to jump out I of my jump body. right out. Yeah. 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 It's, I, I feel like my heart is just you pounding just, like some cartoon character. You're like 24 seven caffeinated naturally. Yeah. yeah. I just, I wake up and I just make sure I'm hydrated. Like that's how I wake up in the morning. Um, so I knew I had to match that aesthetic, which is why if you listen to the intro of my show, it's really like aggressive sort of up-tempo music. Um, and so I know that I get really excited about things and I had to make that, make that aesthetic match my energy because anything less and everyone's going to go, what even is this? Um, and so knowing that about myself and knowing that I wanted to, God, just champion people's works that all of my choices had to be geared around that kind of style. So I wanted people to feel energized and informed and like they were having fun with my show. So building empathy in the world, that's a good way of doing it. If you're excited about something, everyone else will be excited about it. So do you feel like your guests, I'm just going to jump in before you go to number three, Yeah, because I'm curious, do you feel like your guests will level up to your energy? <laughs> in general? Yes. Um, and if they're not, it means we're not matching well. And that's, that's going to be a walk uphill. And do you publish it anyway? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had interviews that I'm less than thrilled with. Um, and it's not usually my guest's fault. I, I put it on me. Yeah. I go, I didn't bring my A game to this interview or like I interviewed, I can't remember who it was, but it was someone of some prominence and I was like too gushy about it. You know what I mean? I just, you wanted to be friends afterwards. You're like, well, I would, I would, it wasn't so much that I wanted to be friends. It's that I was almost interviewing them like this. You know what I mean? I was, I was a little gooey eyed about it. Did it make Um, them uncomfortable where they, could they sense it? No, but I just, I didn't ask them everything I wanted to. Yeah. You know, just because I, I don't know. My, my game was off. Like, what can I say? Um, but I published it anyway. It's fine. Um, so yes, in general, I find that if you can, if you can bring some energy, people tend to mirror you. People tend to match whatever you're doing. I was a guest on this one show where this guy had sort of that weird affected NPR voice. And he interviewed me like this. Just like Terry Gross. Kind of. Yeah. And I, subdued. I, and I spent the interview matching his energy, talking like this. <laughs> And as I listen to it back, I go, what the hell was I even doing? Like, why was I talking like that? I don't talk like that. But I feel like you have to, you have to at least attempt to match the host's energy. And if it's like, if it's like NPR style, you just, you fall right into it. Yeah. It wasn't your comfort zone though. Well, it, it was fine. And like we did, we did an interesting show. But I'm like, what in God's name am I doing with my voice here? <laughs> like, this isn't me at all. Um, and I just, I kind of got sucked into it. So in general, if I'm interviewing someone, it's because I like their work and it, like I'm interested in their work. 
And so I tend to get a little bit excited about that. I, you know, without, without turning into a moron about it, you know, I can be like a little bit of a puppy. Just, I want to dig into what they're doing and I want to ask them all these questions. And so people will tend to match that. It's like, oh shit, you're excited about me? Terrific. Then yeah, let's talk. I'm excited now too. So uh, right. that, so that's, that's two. Um, and then the third one is, I, I hesitate, I hesitate saying this, but. You can have a fourth if you need. If you no, need it's another. not that it's because this one's important. Uh, put the monetizing thing out of your head. Yeah. Because people will immediately sort of go to that question. And it's like, if that's why you're doing this, this show is not going to be all it can be. What, what you need to focus on, which is true if you're a stand-up comedian or a band or doing anything creatively, first, you need to not suck. Yep. Like number that one. is the number one, don't suck. Okay. So mm-hmm. get your show where it needs to be. Like be good, be unimpeachably good. And then start worrying about the other questions. Because here's the other thing. I hate ads on podcasts. I hate them. Like literally, and I skip them anytime I can because either you're getting something that's pre-recorded and sucks and might as well be a TV commercial, or you're getting a host doing like a half-assed live read. Yeah, talking about their bed sheets and how wonderful they are. Yeah. And first of all, those deals don't pay shit either. Um, you're either gonna like strike some crappy CPM deal. And as you're building up a show, you know, you don't have thousands of listeners and like, what's a CPM deal? Like $3 per thousand listeners or something like that, depending on what you're doing. Let's say it's $10. So let's say your show gets 3000 downloads. You're making 30 bucks an episode. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Um, You're just making your, your show look cheap and shitty. And so for me, it's like stepping over a dollar to pick up a dime. Um, or you're doing a CPA deal, which is cost per acquisition, which, you know, you get what, like a certain percentage on back end if people use this promo code to buy something. Brandy, how many times have you used one of those codes to buy something? Zero. Okay. And ask your average person how many times they've done that. I've, I can think of three times I've done that in my entire life. Um, I, most... I told the team today that the only person I ever buy anything from is Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, that's it. That's the only person I'm like, oh, Gwyneth likes it. Sure. And like, are, are you using her affiliate code? Because she definitely <laughs> needs more money, doesn't she? She definitely does. <laughs> um, but yeah. like th- those affiliate codes, um, you know, when I hear people like, you know, doing live reads for MeUndies or Quip Toothbrush or Audible or, you know, Dollar Shave Club or like any any of these, I'm like, why are you even doing this? Like just give someone a really, really good listening experience before you're making, you know, five to $50 a month on this, because that that just makes your show uncool. It reminds me of in the social network, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. You know, a million dollars isn't cool. You know, what's cool. A billion dollars when it comes time to monetize your show, all of the other markers will be so painfully obvious and they will be beating down your door to come to you. Mm-hmm. That's when you monetize a show. Um, and that's when you be very intentional about it. So put the monetizing thing out of your head, create the best show you can for the joy of creating the show you want to create. 
is there any show that does it right? Like, is there any form of advertising that you feel like, eh, okay, that's acceptable? Because I, I don't, I'm hard pressed to think mm. of any that I've thought was clever or well, and, I would like I mean, at least listen to. Well, I mean, everything is sort of, um, I mean, we're all hypocrites, right? Because I do have one sponsor on my show. Um, but that was the deal I cut before I even launched. And uh, this company, Four Degrees, which I absolutely adore, hosts my podcast and provides me all my tech support. And I promote them on every show. And they do like social media and advertising and email marketing campaigns. And so it was kind of a natural fit for them. Um, so that's my one sponsor. I And I plug them sort of very discreetly. It's three times in the outro, like three episodes in the outro. And then every fourth show, I'll do a longer one in the intro. Um, so I like the way I do it. It works for me. As far as the shows I listen to, most of them are so clumsy in mm -hmm. terms of the way in which that they're inserted. Like I think about uh, even a show I adore, like uh, All Fantasy Everything, which is a hilarious show. But you'll get like Sean Jordan reading like this tortured ad copy into his iPhone that is like such shitty quality and they'll insert it into the show. And to me, it's like listening to a symphony when all of a sudden the guy like from the Ricola commercials comes in and <laughs> blows this huge flat note on his giant Alpine horn. <laughs> yeah. And I go, what are we doing here? Like you just stapled this on. <laughs> like, is the advertiser really happy with this? Like, are, are they getting their money's worth? And are people going, oh, I got to have that product because clearly he thought enough to record this crappily in a hotel room somewhere. <laughs> um, so like the answer is not really. Yeah. Uh, I, if, if I find one, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think that the, the only form of advertisement that I think is really interesting is if you are thoughtful enough to, and have budget enough to, let's say, sponsor an entire incredible series. Yeah. And you can, you can put your brand, but also tie it into something that's relevant. Like, Hey, it's Salesforce. This, this whole series is sponsored by Salesforce. Yeah. We're, you know, you're interested in this, this is what we do. And it's like very apparent, but they're, they're behind the entire content. Yes. Okay. So to your point, it's almost like when you watch NPR and it's not advertising, it's underwriting. Underwriting. I don't know why. I appreciate that. I underwriting too. sounds so much more enjoyable. It's like, oh, so nice. They gave us some money. And well, and, and you get you get some positive transference from your listening experience to this brand because it's like, oh no, this brand just supports this artistic work. They, they don't view the content as the space around their commercial, Yeah, which, you know, TV is described that way. Like TV shows are just uh, time fillers between commercials. And so in that case, when it's underwriting, it's like, no, no, we just like what you do. We like uh, the artistic or the, you know, the, the entertainment value of what you're doing. And we just support that. Um, so, hey, if you like us, fine. But mostly as a company, we're trying to support cool things. Like to me, that's a better value proposition than traditional advertising. hundred percent. I mean, maybe it's just that we need an NPR voice <laughs> you know? instead of this like crappy hotel mic experience. Right. It's just that they just lower the tone. They well, flatten and it out a bit. 
And you can tell brands will like overload these poor hosts with so much copy. Terrible. Like they they, they just have to power through like these paragraphs of awful ad copy. Um, that that is just <laughs> is pure torture to listen to. Pure torture. Those were some great tips. I, I especially love the monetization one. I think that anybody who goes into podcasting for that, you've you're you've, gonna, you've misfired. Yeah, it's just it's it's pointless. Thank you so much for all of this. We have one more thing that we need to cover. We're going to play. Would you rather? Are you ready yes. for it? Of course. I've been on Discussion Combustion Podcast. You've done this before. I have. Okay. I'm I'm curious. I, I didn't know. I mean, I figured that somebody else was throwing out some would you rather, but now I'm going to need to listen to, to their would you rather. So here we go. Okay. Who would you rather cut your hair? Tim Ferriss or Malcolm Gladwell? <laughs> Tim Ferriss. <laughs> Why? Have you seen Malcolm Gladwell's hair? It's weird. Well, Tim Ferriss doesn't have any hair. Yeah, but still, I think Tim Ferriss will figure it out. Malcolm Gladwell, he doesn't have 10,000 hours to learn haircutting. So, whereas Tim Ferriss, I feel like it's there a little bit quicker. Um, okay, so, fair. Yeah, I'm, I fair. mean, and Malcolm Gladwell is like, I, I find so much of his stuff just tortured to where he's going to dither over your haircut for so long. So long. He's probably going to bring in analysts and experts. Yeah. And like, he's, he's going to read a lot about haircutting and then like, he's going to give it his best shot and it's still going to suck. It's going to be terrible. Tim yeah. Ferriss is probably going to give you a shitty haircut, but at least it won't take nearly as long. <laughs> He'll be efficient for sure. <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> All right. Who would you rather write your business pitch? Elon or Oprah? Oprah. Oh, just like everybody I ask, there's just like no thought to this. It's it, immediately Oprah and I get it. Well, I mean, Oprah, <laughs> I, I I have some very pointy thoughts about Elon Musk that um, I will largely refrain from here, <laughs> but I'll just say that um, Oprah has a track record that I believe in a little bit more than Elon Musk and um, some proven savvy and not like Oprah has plenty of cult of personality, but I feel like when you are looking at the two of them next to each other, the percentage of cult of personality versus actual business accomplishments, I think it leans heavily in Oprah's favor. I agree. hundred percent agree. All right. I feel like this one is, I'm curious about it, but I feel like it's, it's a no brainer for me. Who would you okay. rather take to a party? Dave Chappelle or George Clooney? Hmm. Um, wow. That one's a little tough for me. Really? Yeah. And the reason is I know George Clooney's reputation as a, as an onset prankster, and I am not a practical joker. And so I'm worried that he's going to prank me at a party. Dave Chappelle, I'm concerned about bringing to a party as a former cigarette smoker. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily, cause Dave's going to smoke. Mm-hmm. Dave's going to smoke wherever he goes. And when you smell it. Yeah. I, and I I'm over it now. It's been long enough to where I, I don't even like the smell of cigarettes, but I know if I hung around Dave enough, I'd probably be back on that train. <laughs> so, um, both wildly entertaining, both have had incredible careers. So in this case, I'm going to go with Clooney. 
Okay. You'd rather a prank than revert back to smoking. <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, George is married now too. So could be you know, tamed. Perhaps some of that instinct has, has been tamped down just a little bit. Um, I kind of would rather hear Dave Chappelle's stories. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure that George has plenty of good stories. But he has plenty. Yeah, I, I'm sure he has no shortage of them. Um, but okay, um, I like yeah, I'll it. go with Clooney. All right. So who would you rather be stranded on an island with, Tina Fey or Amy Poehler? Oh, shit. Wow, what a tough mm-hmm. question. Um. Wow. Well, my favorite show of all time is Parks and Recreation, so I think I have to say Amy Poehler. Yes. Um, although Tina Fey, I read Bossy Pants, and I read so it in good. one day. I had a flight delayed, and I was in an airport with nothing to do. So I just picked it up from the newsstand and read it in like one, two and a half hour, three hour sitting, whatever it was. Um, and God, both brilliant comedic minds, both just so incredibly cool. I think I have to go Amy Poehler just for the Parks and Rec thing. I know. I also feel like probably just being on that show and working through so many episodes, resourceful, right? Well, and on my show, I interviewed Jim O'Hare, who played Jerry Gergich on that show. Wow. That's incredible. What did he have to say about Amy? Well, so he showed me. So it was a Denver Film Fest a couple of years ago, and he pulls out his phone after we're done recording, and he shows me this text thread that that is Amy and uh, Nick Offerman and Aziz Ansari and Rashida Jones and Rob Lowe and Adam Scott. They're all just on this text thread. And, you know, it's like a photo of Amy Poehler with the makeup woman from Parks and Rec working on this next project with her. And what Jim told me was, he's like, on that show, we just had eight people or nine people or whatever it was who fell in love. And they were all so tight. And they, to my imagination they probably still are because I interviewed Jim after Parks and Rec was over he was here promoting a movie and he was still just like interacting with all these in this group message they were constantly talking to each other it's incredible and so like that is just that is so cool to me it Um, is and I mean it speaks to the huge beating heart at the center of that show Mm -hmm. so yeah I, I think my answer is Amy Poehler Okay. Yeah. Um, I also loved bossy pants and just ripped through that book. And I felt like I've always been a Tina Fey fan, but that just like, it just brought her up here to a whole nother level. Well, and the two of them were my favorite weekend update pairing. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. They, they had a joke about, um, Wendy's like unveiling a new sandwich or something. And the photo was so gross. It had like a frosty cup in the middle of it. But one of them called it Wendy's diabetes explosion. <laughs> and uh, my, I have my, my best friend, Jason, my writing partner, and we will sometimes just say that to each other. It's like, well, what should we get today? I don't know. Some diabetes explosion, maybe. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much. This has been great. I want people, well, first of all, we will put a link to the podcast in our show notes, but where can people find you? Let's say they want to be a guest. Or they think they have an interesting story to tell. So first of all, you can find the show on Podcatchers Everywhere. I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Audible, wherever else you get your pods. Um, 
And then I am on social. So Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram, all the same handle, J-O-A-T pod. Uh, you can reach out to me there. My DMs are open on Twitter. I accept Facebook messages. The best way is at my website and uh, or through email. My company is called Deft Communications. That is D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. And you can email me, John, J-O-N, at deftcom.us. The website is johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us. That's like a bunch of different ways you can get in touch with me. I'm available pretty much everywhere since I work from home and since I work for myself. I tend to get back to people pretty quickly. So however you want to get in touch with me, I'm open to it and I look forward to it. Great. Thank you. So head to whatever listening platform is your preferred one. Follow, subscribe, rate, review, do all the things. John of all trades. If you're interested in being a guest, you know how to get a hold of him. That's right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brandy. Thank you so much for tuning in to Hosted, a podcast brought to you by Kitcaster, a podcast booking agency. If you want to find out more about Kitcaster, about Hosted, find us on all of the relevant social channels and tune in to more episodes of Hosted. Take care.